sometimes the work is very heavy, and work is a consequence also of the fall, or at least the labor involved in work. Work was always a part of our life, but now we experience it as the sweat of our brow, uh, whereas perhaps prior to the fall, work was how we feel when we go out on a beautiful spring day to work in the yard and we just like getting into it or something. Yeah, work in the garden might have been able to coexist with rest. With the, with rats? With rest. Oh, rest, yeah, you know, exactly. Might, might yeah, been, with the rats. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, it might have been able to coexist, but, but now... It's in, it's interesting you saying saying that because I feel like a lot of our listeners and maybe I'm maybe I'm projecting my own experience with acedia lately onto onto the circumstance, but I just I sense in the lives of the faithful, um, even the non-faithful, but I almost I think the faithful is more aware of the weight, whereas the non-faithful might not be aware of the weight that's mm-hmm. dragging them down. But I sense a certain weight right now amongst a lot of us, like a um, just where the work is heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, work in the spiritual life or work in family life, work where the stakes matter most, but also just the general reality of life. I don't know. Do you have any, do you have any personal advice for how to, how to wrestle with that when, when we are combating that reality of the fall, the sweat of our brow and the the work feels heavy? The, when I was uh, doing hospital chaplain ministry, uh, one of the concepts that we talked about sometimes was the difference between pain and suffering. Uh, if a person is in the hospital and they have some physical condition that causes physical pain, that hurts. If a person is in the hospital, even if they have less physical pain, but they're struggling with something emotionally or psychologically, that's suffering, and that's different than mere physical pain, and it often can hurt worse. So in the life of our faith and in the life of discipleship, I would say the same, that the devil wants us to feel like this is all heavy. But we know that it's not. The Lord said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. If we always reject and and renounce the devil uh, with that phrase, no, this is not heavy. The Lord said it's not heavy. Then we will still bear the weight Uh, Imagine if you're faced with some difficult conversation, let's say, that has to happen in your family, in someone you do ministry with, in the parish, whatever it is. Uh, That's a weight. You're bearing a weight. This has to happen. It's going to be heavy. It's going to be hard. But part of the weight that it's bearing is mirage in the sense that the devil wants you to feel it and think it's it's can't be done, it's too heavy, and blah, blah, blah. Hmm. If you reject that with the, the idea that God is going to be with me in this, this has to happen, so it's going to happen. It is going to be uh, painful and challenging, but God is going to be with me in it, and I'm not doing something wrong in doing it. You know, I need to engage in this. Then that takes a lot of it away. We can bear pain better than we can bear suffering. Uh, the other principle is it's better to to bear an evil than to commit an evil, to to suffer an evil than to commit an evil. It's connected to that. Um, so yeah, strive to to do what is right, and to then live in the joy of knowing I'm doing what is right, even though this is going to be difficult, just by the nature of whatever it is. 
uh, I'm doing what I must do, and therefore I'm going to trust that God is going to help me in this thing. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like you know there's so many you know small things that you can do to prepare yourself and to uh, to habitualize and have virtue um, in that area of just really gratitude is what I was hearing a lot from what you were just saying mm-hmm. of um, you know having gratitude for you know whatever the gifts the Lord is bringing to you um, in that moment even having a gratitude for the weight um, you know that's being born and having a a different a different attitude towards it because mm-hmm. yeah the the yoke is easy the burden is light and you know as a protection against the uh the mirage i really like how you phrase that like the mirage because it looks really real mm-hmm. right james oh it's the confusion uh, mirage and the diablo you know, yeah the confusion. The both those words have a great resonation in what i've been sensing in my own life mm-hmm. and also sensing in the lives of others that are i think um in a place of struggle I have a little paper on my desk uh, in my house where I sit in the morning that is a daily reminder to me of something that came to me in prayer, and it says uh, to the effect, God is waiting, uh, you know, every day God is waiting to, to bring grace into my life through every act and every thought that I have where I put my trust in Him. And so... It's a way to remind me that whatever the difficult thing you may have to do today, God is waiting to bless you in that thing. Do it. Do the mm-hmm. thing that you have to do because God is waiting for you to do it to bring the blessing to you. And so it may not seem like a blessing could possibly come out of it, hmm. but trusting that God is not to be outdone. Um, one of my... One of my uh, uh, more favorite time management kinds of uh, books or tapes that we I love had, those had listened to. You you remember there used to be tapes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> now well, I guess what's a tape? Was, yeah, no, some I'm kind of kidding. electronic <laughs> thing. Uh, but the title of it is "Eat That Frog." Yes, that's one of the yeah. time management programs, and it comes from the idea that somebody like Abraham Lincoln or somebody <laughs> had said that if you have to eat a frog every day. Eat it first thing in the morning and get it over with. So the idea being, don't let eating the frog hang over you all day long. Just eat the frog and go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I think even in our life of faith, uh, sometimes our, our discipleship calls from us to do a difficult thing. Well, do the difficult thing and move on. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. Now here I'm talking to myself. So it's easy to say these things. Sure, yeah. sure. All all of these things are really easy to say, um, yeah. but it's a little bit harder in practice. Yeah. But speaking of practice, Bishop, like one thing that I'm just curious about, you know, is uh, you know, <clears throat> bishops have notoriously, you know, with the with the massive, you know, responsibility of an entire diocese on your shoulders. You guys are kind of notoriously pretty busy, fellas. Um, a lot of the time, and uh, you know, we have different people. We probably have listeners who have lead pretty busy lives. Um, but I would love to hear, like, what are some of the small ways, you know, or and maybe large ways, where you're still able to take that initiative um, in discipleship, and like that the Lord, like you just said, like the Lord is waiting to bless you in in your in your time as a bishop. I have noticed and say often that every mother that has three children is busier than any bishop. So, yes, bishops are busy, 
but busy can also be a crutch, and busy can also be a sin, I'm mm-hmm. convinced. So um, everyone has the same 24 hours a day, and you absolutely are going to get the things that are the most important to you done in those 24 hours. Have you correctly settled on what are the most important things to you? So I think one of the things that we we need to do more that that people in general and people in ministry need to do is a exercise of simply sitting down and thinking through, I only have a certain number of years left on this planet. What's the most important thing to me in that amount of time? What do I need to be focused on? What are the things that when I get to the last day, I'll look back and not regret having spent time on them? Then make those things the most important things, you know, the first things. Uh, I think if we did that, we would cut a lot of things out of our lives that actually aren't the most important. They just pretend to be. Uh, The old Franklin Covey uh, planning systems that that used um, the, uh, the principles about quadrant time, you know, and first quadrant, second quadrant, all that stuff. Uh, so some things that are urgent are not actually important, but they're urgent, and so they say, on their own, they say, do me, do me next. But they don't need to be done at all. And uh, one of the examples that always stood out to me, and it, it changed my own behavior, was the idea of reading versus watching television. Uh, books don't jump out at you and say, read me. But TVs have commercials and all kinds of flashy graphics and blah, blah, blah. And so uh, the other example that they used was phones ringing. If a phone is ringing, the phone's ringing. I got to answer it. Actually, you don't have to answer it. If you didn't answer it at all, whoever's calling would call back. (laughs) So it's that idea in our own uh, faith life is to be sure we understand what are the most important things to me and then to be finding, you know, using whatever organization system you use or planning system you use to be practical about how do I do those things? How can I get those things done? In ministry, often uh, things that, you know, for instance, I did that little talk at lunch. Uh, If I, there's nothing... If I don't do it myself, there's nothing that's going to, to remind me that I need to get ready for that talk. I have to put into my planner somewhere time to get ready for that talk. If I don't do that, if I let the urgent things every day take up all my time, I won't ever plan for that talk until it's the day of the talk, and then it's too late to plan for the talk. So it's that kind of idea in, in our, our uh, faith life. You know, if mass is critical for me, if confession is critical for me, if reading scripture is critical for me, if I've always said I'd love to get that magazine and read it cover to cover uh, every month, if I really want to do that, I can do it. I just have to make that a priority. It means some other things I can't do. But if I'm doing every day and know that I'm doing every day because I've gone through this exercise of properly prioritizing what's important, If every day I know that there are things falling through the cracks, 
I'm not getting everything that I might want to do done. But I am getting everything that is the most important thing to me done. Hmm. Then I don't care about the things falling through the cracks. Or at least I care less about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, if I'm getting all the little urgent things done in a frantic way, but boy, I'm just not reading that Bible. It's collecting dust. That's going to bother me. That's going to become an anxiety and a stress all by itself. Uh, so we have to be careful about that. Have you done the exercise you, you shared at the beginning of setting some time aside and saying, I only have so much time left? What do I need to work on? I, I'll tell you a fun story. If, if we have time, you can include it in the podcast. Um, I once was using a liturgical calendar. People might not know what that is. Uh, there are companies that produce liturgical calendars that mostly priests and deacons and people in ministry use. And it's like any other calendar, except each day has all of the liturgical information needed for Mass. Hmm. The color of the vestments that day, the saints' feast day that day, the level of feast it is that day, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The scripture readings, etc. And there's all kinds of other useful information for people in ministry in these calendars. And one of the things in the calendar that many calendars have is what's called a perpetual calendar. And the perpetual calendar is a set of 14 calendars, 14 different ways in which the days and the dates of a year can work themselves out. Because you realize every year, the third Tuesday of March of every year is not the same date. It's not always the 18th or whatever it is. And so there's a key that tells you which of the 14 calendars to look at for which year. And it has a list of 100 years. So you could know 70 years from now, the third Tuesday of March, what date is it going to be? You could, you could do that with one of these calendars. And I was using one to plan things. And that's the reason they're in there is because people in ministry are planning things for months and years in advance. So I was using one for planning whatever. And I'm looking at that list of 100 years and I realized I don't need all those years. I'm not even going to be here past about here. And I drew a little line under that year. (laughs) And I think it was a year that would have had me be 100 years old, let's say. Well, okay, there's the year that I'm going to turn 100. It's very unlikely that I'm going to live even that long, let alone longer than that. So I don't need all these years underneath that. Now, it may sound morbid to somebody. To, to hear that. I've even suggested to people to do this exercise yourself sometime, a prayer exercise, a, a, a way of praying. Take a piece of paper and write 2021, 2022, 2023, 2024. Keep going until you reach the year past which you can't imagine that you would still be alive here. Go ahead and write them down. In a single sheet of paper, unless you're very, very young, You'll have all the years you need, all the years that are left. <laughs> you guys look shocked. <laughs> it sounds morbid, except that it has a really deep and rich way for a person of faith to focus yourself and realize that is, I'm looking on a single sheet of paper, I'm looking at all the years that are left of my life, almost certainly. 
What do I want to get done in that time? What are the most important things to me in that time? When I get down around here where there's about 10 years left, what do I want to not be thinking, gosh, I wish I had got that done? See? And then that helps you to prioritize what are the things that really matter to me. Uh, so it's, a, it's an interesting exercise in that respect. It allows you, there's a, there was a, I did a Lenten um, practice. There was a book called Memento Mori that uh, mm -hmm. a sister had done that was, you know, all about kind of in a similar morbidity level of just all about remembering your death, right. you know, remembering you're going to die. And then, yeah, I was just smiling at what you were saying there because like, it's very simple, you yeah. know. Um, it's, a traditional, it, it's a traditional uh, point of wisdom that our death is coming and it can teach us things hmm. and we ought to let it. Uh, another exercise is to take a piece of paper on the left-hand side of the page, draw a period, then extend a line from the period across the page running off the right-hand side of the page and right off out in, off the table. And the period is the 125 years, if you live to be the oldest person in the world, <laughs> that you would have in this life. And the line is the rest of your life. The line is not fake. It's your life. It is our life. This whole thing now, now I'm looking at my whole life. I'm looking at the years that I have on the planet here. They're very small. They're the little period. But the line and the line that extends all the way off the page and I can't even see the end of it because it doesn't have one, now I'm seeing my whole life. That little exercise will teach you the kind of creature that you are. And again, in terms of prioritizing things that should matter, knowing the kind of creature that you are, mm. you're the kind of creature who's going to still be alive when all the stars in the universe have gone cold. That's the kind of creature that you are. Should that creature be spending 30 minutes a day looking at cat videos <laughs> on Facebook? <laughs> or should that creature be pursuing larger things, uh, larger and deeper thoughts. Um, that kind of an exercise can help a person settle into prayer. You know, one of, the, one of the great anxieties of our age because of our technology is this idea of FOMO, fear of missing out. It has its own acronym, FOMO. Uh, it's something that I experience often with students uh, at a university, uh, they often would have a very difficult time committing that they're going to come to X event on Friday, three days away, at 6 o'clock. Will you come? Uh, I probably will. Probably, probably. Why? Because of FOMO. Something else might come up. I don't know. I, should, I don't want to miss out. That kind of an exercise, the dot and line exercise, can help us put away FOMO, knowing that it won't matter. Will anything that I missed out on in this life, save the Lord, matter in that line, in the line part of our life? It won't. It won't. So then we can settle down and pray and settle into prayer, 
knowing that I'm not missing anything. I couldn't possibly in this moment be missing anything. Even if the kids are yelling and screaming in the backyard. Parents can tell if it's blood or not, right? There's a certain pitch that indicates blood. Beyond that, it doesn't it's matter. It's so true. Isn't it true? It's yeah. true. Yeah. It's true. Hmm. Oh, that's, a be- that's a beautiful place. Uh, James, did you have anything you wanted to add before we let Bishop go? Depends on how much time you have. Are we, are we, are we out, out? Because there is one I would love to ask. Go. Okay. In your talk today, you said, would I, ju- would I die for Jesus? Yeah. I used to use that that idea in homiletics too, in preaching homilies. And it's a simple thing. Uh, any, if you ever watch a martyr movie, which are good movies to watch, or read a martyr story, Stanley Rother's a great one, uh, it allows you to wrestle with the idea that if I don't know who I would die for, if I'm not able to quantify my life in such a way relative to somebody else, such that I know who I would die for, can I really say that I'm living? Or am I just passing time? And so if I know that I would die for Jesus, if, if the circumstance ever happened that I had to make a choice between continuing to live or being faithful to the Lord, and I know that I would die for the Lord, that will affect how I live. Knowing that, coming to a deep, uh, comfortable sense that I love Jesus in such a way, and because of who he is to me and what he has done for me, I love him in such a way that if I ever had to give my life for him, I would do that, will affect the way that you live the rest of your life. Because now you know what matters. Hmm. If I die for him, will I give up this today for him? Yeah. Yeah. If I'm willing to die for the Lord, why am I not willing to get past X? Or why am I not willing to not say X? Or why am I not willing to say X? (laughs) Whatever it is. Hmm. Yeah, it can have a powerful impact. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. So everybody, get your life together. (laughs) Go through the exercises. Bishop Condrela has taught us a lot. I know I'll be going through them with my family, which I'm super excited. But uh, this has been Red Dirt Catholics. I'm Jace. I'm James. I'm Bishop Condrela. Great to be with you all. See you next time.